Hello and welcome to the Bull Mountain Brothers Podcast with your hosts, Ramsey Rutschke, Riley Rutschke, and Sean Morris. What is up and welcome back to another episode of the Bull Mountain Brothers Podcast. Boys, how we doing? Uh, pretty pretty good. I am just fat. Whoa. Sean. Whoa. Sean, it's good to we see you, buddy. We have Sean missed you. There. I miss one podcast. <laughs> and it's the end of the world. We, we we talked about how we were sad that you weren't here. Really? Yeah. yeah. How was it? How was your trip? It was good. Uh, Man, pina coladas. Pina coladas. <laughs> Those are good. No, you guys, no sex on the beach? No, did not. I have actually never had one of those. Oh, the drink. Oh. The yes. Drink. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Um, <laughs> you guys pretty much just stay at the resort the whole time, or did you go do some fishing or anything? Nope. We uh, thought about it, but they were kind of up in the prices a little bit. I'm sure. Um, mm. And it typically was, I think it was like 300 for the half oh, day yeah. or whatever, but now it's five or six. Yeah. It was uh, when the last time I went deep sea fishing, we did a boat of like seven. The only time you went deep sea Okay. The only time I've ever been. This is the last time too. Yeah, it was. I think we did seven or eight and it was about 120 per person. So sounds about right. Oh, it was 500 just for me. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, that's what, see, that's what you, when you go down there, you got to do the, oh, I got, I got six people. Cut me a deal. Let's do it for this. That's how you get into clubs too. Right. Right. And I mean, it's, it was crazy because down there is like literally the entire coastline. 50 plus miles is resorts and oh, coming yeah. in coming in from the airport all you see is more resorts getting put up that's crazy it's it's and i bet you stuff gets built pretty quick down there i'm sure <laughs> i'm sure well i mean you drive by and there's 60 of them working on one job right i mean wow is it good to be home yeah i was definitely saturday was a long layover weight in the in the Cabo airport well did you hear about Vegas they got like shut down like two days ago and there's no flights in or out and people are just like thousands of people were just packed in like sardines oh wow yeah that would have been miserable I don't I won't fly I won't fly well actually Saturday some some uh stuff started popping off in northern Mexico like right on the border of San Diego and El Paso some oh nice some uh I mean you know who oh yeah uh just doing some bad stuff and we actually had to reroute our flight out of Cabo to, I think mainly, I mean, it wasn't a safety thing. I think it was mainly just for us to not see any of that. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't traveled since all of the sickness, whatever stuff been going on. So I don't, I haven't even know how bad it is to, to go around or. It, I mean, it wasn't too bad. There's, I tell you what, there is a ton of people that go down there and it, sure. it's all, it's. Is it back to masks again? No. No, except all of the pretty much everybody that works and lives there did wear a mask. Everybody at the resort that was an employee, there must be some some deal with that. But like as far as I, I feel like the difference between because I was talking to a guy down there, a couple down there that they've been to Cancun a bunch of times and Cabo several times. Um, Cancun's more the like spring break, you know. I'm. 22. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's what I did wrong. And Cabo is more the, you know, families that go down there and go to have like relaxing time and, right. you know, maybe go fishing, jet skiing, sightseeing, whatever. Um, which, old, old people like you and your wife. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, 
But no, it was it was still a lot of fun. I mean, the all inclusive is the way to go. Oh, 100 yeah. percent. What's it What's it like to to be like? Oh, I'm a I'm a husband and I have a wife now. Is it cool? It's definitely. It... I don't know if it's fully sank in yet. Right. You know, wearing this thing on my finger and. Yeah, I probably that's probably the biggest thing for you because you you guys have been pretty much like. There was you guys were just already basically married. Yeah, you could say deeply that. in that love. Was one of the things is like everybody at the wedding's like, oh, everything's gonna change. They say that to Sean. I'm like. No, it's I not. I mean, I've been with her, you know, the last <laughs> almost seven years. So. That's a long time for a 24-year-old, 25, 24. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you guys have already been living together, and you were pretty much married before you got married. <laughs> Which is awesome. I'm happy for you guys. You guys are really good together. and Long life awaits you guys. Uh, Ramsey, last weekend, what did we even do? We had a shooting tournament. We did. Um, didn't win anything. I got third. <clears throat> you got third? Yeah, that's basically not winning. Yeah. We all shot well, though. I think. Would uh, you shoot? Shot a forty-seven out of oh, fifty. Yeah, it shot a forty-eight. Yeah, classic yeah. Ramsey move to beat me by one, and then Dag got a forty-four. So yeah, it was fun. Yeah. Um, well. It's a tournament we've been doing for. It's just it's a fundraiser tournament we've been doing since we were ten, eight years old. So it's, it's even if um, even if we're not doing a lot of tournaments in a season, we always usually make sure to do that one. It's yeah. something we can share with Dad, and it's, it's good cause. Um, and then Sunday. What did I do Sunday? Hmm. Oh, I've been working on my Ranger, getting yeah. that thing ready to go for the season. At the lake. Matt and I's Ranger. Hit, hit, hit the lake with the boys. I saw that. I made a TikTok mm-hmm. today for you. That looked pretty fun. It was a good time. Did you hop in Sean's honey holes? Is that how you caught fish? Or you know, what? actually, it, I, I want to say it's Christian's honey hole. It is. I would say it is. And, and Christian was the boat captain for the first part of the day. Um, went to his honey hole, and the waters dropped about a foot. It's so, still deep. I bet. I bet you, it's still probably. You think you, do you think you guys eight and a half to, feet? Are you guys pretty much switching over to just hunting mentality, or do you think you might go back one more? Oh, time? I'd probably hit the boat again. Yeah, as we speak today, our hunting season started today. It is officially for, for those that like to sweat and. I know, but if you think about it, Montana hunting season. The 2022 hunting big, season big has started, season started today, today, which is awesome. It's, it feels good. feels good to be back in our element. Something that we haven't had on this podcast. We have not even had a hunting season. We had a, a tail end of, of shoulder a season. shoulder season when we started the podcast and then a turkey season. But it's it's great to be in our element. We're going to – everything will be firing on all cylinders now. We're all very excited. Um, I'm the only one here that has – an early season antelope tag, so I'm probably the only one that'll be able to hunt for the next couple weeks. But uh, big game season is two weeks from Saturday. Two weeks from us. Saturday. It is upon us. Um, before we get into too many tangents here, I'd like to welcome everybody to episode 32. Uh, this is a special episode. We have a very important guest with us today, our good friend um, that we've known through trap shooting for yeah. a very long time. He. Started out shooting on a friend of ours team, and then we merged teams with them after getting to know them. So we've been we've known uh, our guests here for a while now. I'd like to introduce Kevin Bocci of Montana. Um, he's here with us today. Kevin, how are you? I'm doing good. Um, this is probably is this is this your first interview? Or have you done something like this before? Mm, nope, I haven't done any interviews. So. Well, well, welcome to the Bull Mountain Brothers podcast. Um, we're just going to get right into it, and we're going to start out. Our favorite thing to do is we'd like to know about you um for the audience we do know that you are a lifelong outdoorsman uh hunting enthusiast 
Um, you worked in the industry, I would say, for a very long time. And when they talk about the industry, it's, you know, the hunting outdoors. Uh, yeah, it was all outdoors. And uh, I was a sales representative for a major um, distributor in the East. So that company, um, you know, I belonged to them for 42 years. So uh, Some would say the dream job almost, huh? Yeah, it was pretty fun. You know, I got, got to see a lot of things. <clears throat> Very cool. So let's, let's take it back not too long ago. Uh, let's take it back to when you were 12 years old. You told me that's when you'd started hunting. Uh, who got you into hunting and how'd you get that all started out? My father uh, was a hunter he, and a fisherman. Um, he took us bird hunting. That was our big start uh, when we were 12. Uh, I had my first 410. I shot my first Hungarian partridge. Um, you know, I can still remember walking through the, the fields holding that bird. You know, I was just so proud, 12 years old. And, you know, I shot it on the ground, though. <laughs> hey, but, that's, uh, you know. But, hey, it was my first bird. And uh, from then, it, it kind of morphed into duck hunting. Uh, we did a lot of jump shooting off of ditches and stuff, and um, we, we we hunted quite a bit. And then my dad was was quite a deer hunter. You know, we we hunted over in the Melstone area, and uh, back then you could get two deer, and so we would have deer in the back of the truck when we'd come home. We'd have, you know, between me and my brothers. Um, and we'd have a ton of deer in the back of the truck. <laughs> was that was that whitetail and mule deer? Or? It was mostly mule deer. Mostly mule deer. Uh, when we were hunting them, we we always loved hunting whitetails because the, you know, they're just unique and different, and you see them in a different, different way, you know. Right. But uh, for the most part, we hunted in in kind of like the timbered areas. You know, there were a lot of trees, and and then it went out into the prairies. But uh, we, we we shot a lot of a lot of deer, <laughs> growing up. Did you um? Did your whole family like eating wild game then? Your mom and your dad? And you know, it was funny. Um, the kids liked it. My dad and my mom didn't like it. Okay. And so, but we would process them and we would uh, share them with other families. Um, my what my mom worked, you know, as a um, she was a cook in a restaurant, so she would share a lot of the meat and stuff with with young families and stuff like that. So we, we did. Nothing went to waste. So. And as a brother and my sisters, we liked venison, so we would cook it ourselves or, you know, my dad would cook it for us. So Now, do you find yourself, you know, starting when you're starting on hunting and stuff, did you find yourself to be like a year-round outdoorsman? Were you doing the spring stuff, the fall stuff? Um, was that your main hobby back then? Or? Well, you know, we were in sports. You know, I was in sports, and that was part of the time I was in sports and part of the time I was hunting. So, but, uh, in the springtime we would fish, you know, we'd go up on rock Creek and, and we'd fish for trout and I'd follow my dad, you know, and my brothers and, you know, they'd, they'd head off to the, you know, to the upper stream and, and, uh, you know, if I waited anywhere, I'd have to chase them, you know? So, <laughs> right. but, uh, you know, as I was growing up, uh, what I, sports did you do back in the day? I did wrestling and football. Okay. Um, and I was pretty successful at those, you know, when I was in high school. Um, but, um, you know, as far as, uh, being year round, I mean, we hunted rabbits, uh, you know, when I got into bow hunting, I was, I was hunting anything that, that moved, you know? So, you know, we'd hunt prairie dogs with bows. We'd hunt, you know, uh, rabbits with bows and then, 
of course, deer. Uh, I had a good friend of mine that we hunted quite a bit together. You're probably our first lifelong bow hunter that we've had on here that we've interviewed. Does that sound right? I think so. Yeah, because yeah. um, Dave never. No, and I don't think Alan did either. We never interviewed. Uh, no. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so it's kind of cool to get kind of a taste from someone that's done it for a long time. Because when you started, I would assume that uh, the uh, the technology was a lot different, and mm-hmm. it was very new. I would say the compound bow was probably a very new subject when you first started hunting. This is actually very exciting for me right now because okay. I have been with the Trevor Dave interviews. I had questions loaded up for Dave about what you just asked, mm-hmm. but you weren't feeling good. But Dave, Dave didn't hunt like bow hunt when he was younger, mm-hmm. and I mean, never really, you know, fully. I think got invested into it, but. Now that Kevin's here, I got some questions for you. The Basically, the biggest thing I want to know is your first bow to the bow you have now. My first bow was a, was a recurve. It was a bear recurve. And uh, I would take that bear recurve and uh, I'd go down. My dad had cows. And so I would sneak out into the field and I'd shoot his cows with a blunt tip. And that's how I got to be really good. <laughs> and, uh, hey, you know, it was kind of target. funny because, you know, my dad would get pretty upset because those cows were his babies, you know, and and they would come. As soon as he'd shake the bucket, here those cows would come. Well, after about two or three weeks, you know, they, they weren't uh, chasing to get in to get the feed. Um, but uh, you'd hit them with those blunts. They would be a big red blunt on the end of the arrow and, but I, I shot recurves. That's that's all I shot. And um, it wasn't until quite a number of years later that the technology on compounds got good enough. I mean, uh, the bear compound was not the best. Right. And um, the Jennings was kind of <clears throat> the, the first start of getting better, you know, and then it went to PSC and it went to, you know, some of the other Hoyts and some of those. But for the most part, I stayed with a recurve just about the whole time, other than the last few years when I when I got into a very good compound. So that would it's kind of I would say it's as far as as compounds go, it's kind of like the the growing of the of the cell phone. Oh, absolutely. When you would yeah. you know the very first one that came out was, I mean, heavy. We, we <laughs> were probably either Riley might have been alive. I think 80s, right? It would have been in the 80s when they Yeah, so right before I got born. So basically, it took some time for them to grow that technology. Yeah. And what what would you say was the biggest problem with the first generation compounds? I think the first generation was just the materials. The materials were heavy. They weren't light. Um, They uh, didn't have the technology in the wheels, you know, in, in the draw and stuff like that. I mean, they uh, were just very basic. It was it was two wheels. That was it. And there wasn't anything that it took it down to 80% or, you know, they were they were half. Wow. <laughs> and so, uh, so they, and they were pretty heavy. I, I had Jennings, I had Bear, uh, and then I went into Better Bows. And, this bull here was shot with a bear, funny enough. Oh, um, absolutely. So, so I kind of have a question. Um, you know, I'm going to compare it to, like, let's say your grandpa 
uh, when the cell phone come out or the the computer, or whatever. They're like, I'm I'm never going to use that. Uh, when you and your your friends that shot recurves back in the day, when the compounds came out, was it like a moment where you're like, wow, this is something that could really up my hunting game, or was it like, man, that's just this new technology. Just this isn't going to be what I want to get into. I knew that when I got into compounds that I could shoot farther. And not that I wanted to shoot farther, but the technology was so much better than a recurve. And um, but still, there's 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 a group of people that love the recurves and the longbows, mm -hmm. and uh, they they buy real expensive bows that uh, they can they can hunt with, you know, on a spot and stock situation. Whereas with a compound, I mean, you can flat out shoot out to 100 yards just about and flat. And I had a friend of mine that I, he was, you know, he owned a, a bow range. And uh, he could take a bow apart and put it back together. But, you know, I seen him shoot, you know, 90 yards and just and then put groups of five in, in a, huh. you know, in a nine inch circle, I mean, it was pretty, pretty amazing. So it, the compound increased the level of distance that a person could shoot. And, and not that that was at that time, the best situation, you know, people are taking shots now at, at those long distances, but the technology is so much better. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And would you say that's more of just straight up, technology versus recurve to compound or do you, would you say it's like poundage stuff or as far as strings or no i you know it's it all goes into that whether it's strings arrows uh they made shorter arrows they made uh you know shelves to shoot off to make them faster uh the whole thing back about oh in the 90s was to get an arrow that would shoot over 300 feet per second right and so now the bows whether it's a standard length arrow, they still shoot that fast. Yeah, we're closing it on 400 feet per second. I yeah. Mean, it's, Ramsey just got a new one, maybe 384 or something like that. Yeah, somewhere. And, and my new Matthews is like 370. So, I mean, it's well, it's crazy to think that that's – it's weird to think, though, because as a trap shooter, that seems slow because you're shooting – your field loads, you're shooting 1,200 feet per second or whatever. Yeah. But it really is for, for a projectile um, – that's you know a 300 to 400 grain projectile that's pretty quick how much would you say say your your matthews now shoots i mean say average 350 i i would say it's closer to 340 I, they they advertise as a 370 or three like his 380 but it's real that's for you know i would say probably one of the shorter cut arrows um well then like that light my, short arrow. Light, that's my light, question light. so how much does a full metal jacket affect that I don't know. I would guess I'm shooting about 340. So his trade-off that he's making is his arrow is going to be slower, but when it hits something, it's going to have so much more force right. for the weight when it hits. Right. Kind of like how you set yours up, too. You, right. You're having a lot more force. So all my weight's in the front. He right. put uh, inserts in it to make it heavier in the front, so all of that kinetic energy is right at the very end of the arrow. Right. And so, like, my bow was... Before the V3, is it V3X, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. This is a VXR, a, a but VX. it's a V3X So the V3X now. is the new one. I guess yeah. before the VXR then, 
the Triax was the fastest Matthews bow that they came out with. Mm-hmm. And last year they made it, I think was 18 or 20. I thought I can't remember if mine's an 18 or a 20. Um, and the, the funny thing is, is in the short time, say it was 18, four years, that bow was the fastest Matthews when it came out and they claimed it could only shoot 315 feet per second. Yeah. And crazy. in four short years, they're already, I know, I mean, like you said, the, I mean, the V3X is probably shooting. It was like right almost identical to what mine was. Yeah. And it's, 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 how do you go in four short years? you know that many feet per and, second and the thing and you'll probably attest to this is like all the stuff that's coming out right now has been thought of two years ago right yeah so, i mean the, you know you're talking about people that are in the in the design industry you know those guys are, are um, you know they're experts at their field so they design a bow and the wheels and everything that that causes it to be faster and faster and faster you know. Right. I mean, they're all, you know, like gradu- the, the graduated. New, the new fastest bow has already been thought of. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which, I mean, at what point does that stop? But think about everything. Think about even like diesel pickups. There's 1,200 foot-pound torque trucks now. Right. And, or is that too high? That's a little high. 1,000 uh, foot-pound torque vehicles. Uh, back in when diesels were, you know, you know, the seven three days and the six liter days. Six so they five. Were, they were only 500 foot, foot-pounds torque, right? Uh, 600, but they're a little horsepower. But, but still, I mean, like the, 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 everything it, nowadays is getting, you're getting the, I gotta be better than the guy. I gotta be better than the guy. I gotta be better right. than myself. And, and I would say what might've even been fun for you growing up was you kind of grew up in the upcoming of the bow industry. Whereas we're at the tail end where people, there's thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of people making livelihoods out of this thing that wasn't probably that when you were growing up. Yeah. One thing about the industry, like when we sold archery, the bows that we sold that year, they, they were, they were, they were not the, the caliber that they are the next year. So the next year is always better. The next year is always better. So anytime you sold a product, it was discontinued after that year. And, and, you know, they were, they were, discontinued basically so as a guy who obviously knows the industry as far as 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 bow technology and sales would you say that to go back to our previous conversation about just the spike in in feet per second would you say that between a a a hoyt bow from 2019 to 2020 are they only changing the feet per second or is there actual technology going into the cams and the strings and and as far as all the silencers and things like that yeah absolutely there's things that make that bow better because they put a cam on it that does a certain you know twist or turn or whatever they have different materials in the limbs in the body of the bow so when a person gets that bow the next year he's got something that's totally lighter faster you know it's like you know, it's like you can't stay up on it. The minute you take that bow off the rack and you walk out and shoot it, its value goes like this. It right. just goes right to the bottom. And I so, mean, as soon as you, you know, you, you buy that thing, put it in a case, bring it to your house, it's already an old bow. Yeah. And I feel I've had my bow for a year and a half and it was like the most important. Is it more than my shotgun? 
I think it was probably the most expensive thing I've ever bought in this, you know, this Absolutely. realm. Yeah. And I already feel like I'm behind the times. I already feel like, because we we're talking already how we're- You're welcome. We're, well, Sean and I have already been talking about how we're thinking about pre-ordering bows in January. <clears throat> and it's like, you think about it, like, my own, I, I put a large chunk of change into something that I already feel like is outdated. Well, that's just like, it goes with everything. I mean, cell phones. Buy the brand new iPhone 13. Yeah. Guess what? It's old. <laughs> The 14 is probably just about to come out. Well, let's let's go back just a little bit more to, to what? Can't get a question in with you two. <laughs> you guys are aggressive, man. Well, this, this is, is it. This we is have exciting a, for it's you. fun to have guests that are really in our wheelhouse. I've been wanting guests, to you ask. Guys always these. give me crap for not asking questions. Here's the reason why. I've been wanting to ask questions like the the. the Bow technology questions to somebody that knows for a very long time. Right, yeah, well, well, wait till. Give wait, me one. Hold on, hold on. Wait till we get to. Uh, Kevin's almost, I would say, one of the most expert people I know on uh, rifles and stuff like that. So wait till we get to that. You'll be, you'll have some questions. Oh up. wow, yeah, I already. Uh, all right, Ramsey, ask your question, bolt, and then I, I'll go. I'll get us back on our time. I love you, brother. Come on. <laughs> do you uh, do you ever still get the chance to use a recurve bow, or do you still have a recurve? Um, I got rid of my recurves. Uh, basically, I passed them down to my son, and uh, so. I'm basically I'm not shooting a bow, you know, today. Gotcha. But uh, you know, the thing is, is that most people that are into the compounds, the high speed, and all that, and you hunt and you do this a lot, you're gonna go back. You're gonna go back and you're gonna pick up a recurve and say, "Hey, this is gonna be interesting because I have to hunt differently," and uh, or a longbow. You know, I've got friends of mine that. They hunt with longbows, and they shoot elk, and they shoot bear, and they shoot everything, you know. So there comes a point in time where you'll get to be an expert in your in your bow, and then you'll say, you know, man, what if I went to a recurve? And then there you go, and you go and you buy the best recurve out there, you know. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> from that, you know, that's, that's kind of the way this industry is, is you got the guys that are – pro compound and you got the guys that are pro uh recurves or longbows but for the most part those that are in the compound end will eventually come back right and i think a lot of guys too that are you know seasoned compound bow hunters that have you know put and harvested a lot several several bulls elk in general i think they're looking at a recurve or a longbow as a this is a new challenge for me i would enjoy it because I, I i know some guys that are like that that have definitely <clears throat> harvested a lot of bulls with a compound bow and they're they're like you know what i'm gonna try a recurve because it's it's gonna be harder and i'm gonna have to change up everything i know about archery elk hunting mm-hmm. i i i'm a long ways from that i think but i do have a small fantasy <laughs> a small fan see i've been i've had this old diamond compound that i've been thinking about converting to a bow fishing bow for a long time but i really think i'd rather get a recurve to do that with might as well start practicing now i mean it i've shot a recurve i can probably count on one hand how many times i've shot a recurve well the only reason i've shot it a bunch is boy scouts, boy scouts. <laughs> i shot a lot really? of recurve yeah, yeah. Well, i'm but, gonna tell you something about a recurve i i took a recurve just a, a bare grizzly you know grizzly com or um, recurve and I took my arrow and I shot it through a 55 gallon drum, went right through it. And I had a probably a 50 or 55 pound bow pull. And one thing about shooting like a, 
a lot of the compounds and stuff like that, you don't have to have a lot of weight. The weight just gives you more speed. Mm -hmm. But if you shoot like a compound, I mean, 45 is excellent. It, it'll it'll go right through an elk, like zoom. Mm -hmm. It'll go through a deer like, like butter. But I've taken a, you know, and shot in my dad's backyard after I shot at some cows. But I took a broadhead, put it on an arrow, shot it right through a 55-gallon drum. Which wow. was to me was amazing. Yeah, and you know, uh, one thing about Ted Nugent, you know, he shoots forty-five pound bow or forty-pound bow. That's all he ever shoots. Mm. If you look at him when he's on on TV or anything like that, and he's shooting or hunting, that bow is only about forty forty-five pounds. Yeah, and he goes right through all those all the game he shoots. Well, and the biggest thing in the industry right now is that's being advertised. Like you think of the big guys and the Under Armour sponsored guys that we know of and stuff like that. They're shooting 80 pound bows with like 450 grain arrows, like 500 grain arrows. And that's the the big craze right mm -hmm. now. And I just, I have a sweet spot at 75, 70. I might, cause I have the gear, I have the bow that you can set the, the gears up for it. So it's like, they call it like a 70, 75. That almost in itself to me is like right on the cusp of being uncomfortable. Like I've almost thought about sometimes it's not like it's uncomfortable. Like I could shoot 50, hundred arrows in a day, but it's like, sometimes I think like, could I shoot like 500 arrows a day if it was like 65 pounds? And I think I would be just as successful, especially with how new these bows are and how accurate out of the box they are. We had a, a bare bow one time. I'll give you an example. <clears throat> it was a half recurve, half compound. I don't know if you've ever seen one. I haven't. But it had the wheel down here at the bottom, and it had a recurve top. And as you pulled it back, you know, as you shot it, it would come up against the post. There was a post that stopped the string from going too far. And uh, we had a customer come in one time, and uh, he wanted this bow. And he said he wanted it in 100 pounds. And that was one of the only bows that they, at that time, was a semi-recurve compound bow. This guy took this bow and he wasn't, he was a small guy. Well, he come back in two or three weeks later. He says, I can't keep a bow string on this. I said, what do you mean? He goes, every time I release the string, he says it busts and just snaps because it comes against that, that, oh. that deal. And it would just bust the string on it. Well, you know, we gave him his money back, but it, it, it didn't last that, it just wasn't designed well. Mm -hmm. Everybody tried to design a recurve compound bow, but it didn't last. That is a hard concept. Well, I mean, think, kinda... of, think about this, Sean. You shoot a Matthews. How many times has Matthews gone? Uh, you know, their big thing. I remember in like 2010 was the, was the solo cam technology. Mm -hmm. And then when I started getting into Matthews, because I, I shot a Bowtech originally, it went to the no cam. And then they're back to dual cams and solo no -cam? cams. Uh, mine is a dual cam. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it is. Um, but yeah, it's it's crazy to think everything's going to change and go back. And you even see that in the ATV industry. What we do, like some of the stuff, you know, they're using some of the technology from 15 years ago because it works. I think a I think this gen this time period right now is kind of like look back at what worked, and let's go back to that for a while. What is going to be like retro is in. It's well, and I think especially it has to do with like we're in you know, a recession and they're going to go and do what's the cheapest and most effective way right. instead of pumping money. Um, we could go on all you know, Okay. That. Just to, just to end this conversation, I feel like at the end of the day, a bow is a bow. Yeah. And, and the most important thing 
is getting to know your bow and and, and, and what works for you. And we're, but I will say, going back in the timeline here, do I have a little bit before break here? Um, we when I think about bow hunting today, I think about and I and I don't know if you guys can follow along and agree with me here, but it seems like it's such a a mental game and such a like you have to put so much effort into uh, what broadhead you use, what grain you use, what, um, you know, arrow length, of course you have to get set up correctly anyways, but shaft, you know, spine, uh, thickness, um, what bow you're using, what site you're using, what quiver, um, how much you're practicing, uh, the equipment that you're going to use for camouflage, for range finding binoculars, was it that stressful when you were doing it back in the day or was it the, you know, get, get, get out and just get it done? No, we just, we had it simple. I mean, we didn't worry about it. We just went and we bought good arrows, got a good broadhead, had our bows and away we went. We, the problem is, is people that are in the bow hunting realm, they want to try all the gadgets they want right. to buy all this stuff and say, this is what's going to make me a better shooter. No. What makes you a better shooter is being on the range and shooting your bow over and over and over and making sure that it's it's tuned, you know. Yeah. Right. And there's always, like, the technology within the technology, meaning I see a lot of guys that are getting their arrows cut pretty much right at or close to where their risers are because they think a shorter arrow is going to do a lot less of this. And it could be faster. And like with the new sites coming out, the micro adjusts and the, I mean, there's just tons of things within one concept of a bow that you can really break down. And I feel like that's just kind of the, the, the vibe. For well, hunting. you can get, st and I think Kevin's making a great point here because I feel like I personally have gotten sucked into the, the gear thing where you get too much and you actually hinder yourself Whereas I've had situations like a perfect example is when I went to um, a drop a drop stabilizer. It really worked well to have two stabilizers. And are you familiar with what a drop mm -hmm. is? Um, I had the drop on there and I was the most stable I've ever been. But when you get into real life hunting situations, it, it was cumbersome and it was always in my way and it was very inconvenient. And so it was like I felt more hindered by a better technology situation instead of you know because now i'm just running a little bit heavier um because matthews you know they're known for um you know raising a little bit when you're mm -hmm. holding and and yada 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 um but you know I, i've had some stuff like that but i've also had some things come good from it too whereas you know i had a five pin site most of my life i went to a seven hated it absolutely this is hated too much it, to look at which sent me to ramsey and i now use five pin drops which uh sliders the best thing I've ever found in, in archery hunting. So it's like you find things I think in nowadays, but at the same time, I think you're right. I think that you do get caught up in the gadgets. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, the main thing is, is you've got to be proficient in what you shoot. So you have to <clears throat> take the time, be on the range. I mean, we, we had a friend of ours and you know him, but he went elk hunting, went bow hunting Never practiced, not one day. And he shot an elk and didn't make a good hit. And then, you know, they trailed it for days trying to find it. Well, 
how much more efficient would he have been if he would have placed that arrow had he practiced a lot? Mm -hmm. You know, and that's that's the given here is you got to practice to become best. And, you know, the, the, the gear that you have is good. You don't have to keep getting the better better car <laughs> yeah. every year. Use what you got, you know, and if it's a gadget that uh, improves your accuracy, go for it, you know. I went to a single pin on my compound, and I would just range find it, move my, and I had it sighted in from 20 to 70 yards, and I would just move the pin down or move it up, and I was on it. I had one pin to look at. Yeah. When I had five pins to look at, I couldn't tell where I was at. <laughs> well, and I, I would say that would definitely has crossed our minds. We were really contemplating on, because Ramsey went, we did the same, we have the same site, don't we? Um, yeah, you they, copied me. They do a one and they do a, a three is very interesting too. The three with the micro just that kind of entices me. Yeah, because you could do, you could really set it up to do 30, 40, 50, 60. Or no. I'd always start at 20. I want a four 20, pin, 30, but you have to special order and it costs like a hundred more dollars. Because a four, a four pin's perfect because you can do 20, 30, 40, 50. And then you can just do, nine, I'm never going to shoot a hundred yards. No. But the five pin you can do, that's you know, like, the best thing about it is you have up to 50 and then you can drop it and go down to a hundred. You know, I think you have to do a, uh, a wounded shot, you know, the wound you're trying to make a second arrow. Um, but yeah, a, a single pin or three pin was definitely, definitely crossed our minds when we were setting it up. Yeah. But, um, and instead I just went with the bigger, bigger circle and five pins and they're spread out yeah. a little more. Yeah. I'm a big, you know, with the, uh, <clears throat> with the light, uh, that, that gathers in on these, uh, uh, fiber optics now, it's just That's amazing insane. how much, yeah, it's insane how much they glow and how much they, you know, like especially if I'm tree hunting, you know, in the evening just before dark, you know, just before, you know, end of hunting day, man, that thing just glows and you put it on a deer and I mean, you know, right where it's going, pow, and it's gone. But, uh, you know, the thing is, is gadgets, you got to kind of wade through them until you find exactly if it's a good thing or not, mm -hmm. you know. See, one thing about a compound, you can't take that compound and turn it over like you're going to have to get around this bush. You've got to stay straight up. With a recurve, you can reach around it and you can almost lay it diagonally, you know. So, And that's that's just the difference in the two different styles, you know. Were you shooting uh, aluminum or wood arrows back in the day? I shot, uh, I have some funny stories about uh, fiberglass, but uh, I shot wood, I shot fiberglass and aluminum. Aluminum's always been the best, uh, especially with the recurve. Um, I shot a doe deer one time and uh, I snuck up on this bank and she was standing 20 yards from me. I shot her, hit her in the shoulder. And my arrow bounced back out of her. Oh, wow. <laughs> it just took the, the broadhead, stuck her in the shoulder, you know, but it didn't go into it. Just hit that bone on the shoulder. But the arrow landed at my feet. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. Like, okay, I got to change some things up here. I got to either <laughs> use better glue or. <laughs> I've heard a similar story, but it was, uh, it, yours was actually like more of a equipment, yeah. not failure, because shot placement was a little bit involved there but matt or who was other guy that you didn't get to meet um they had a client out a couple of years ago that when he pulled his arrow out of his quiver the broadhead stayed in the oh <laughs> stayed in the foam and he didn't know and he shot and it like poked into the side of the elk and it just the elk was just like looked over and then just like doop fell right out and then, and then they found out that there was no broadhead in it but they said it was pretty funny to oh yeah wow uh, yeah 
do that. That arrow had to have been. <laughs> yeah. They're, they said it looked super weird when it came out and then, and then they found out that there was no broadhead in it, but well, I guess Man. we're going to go, uh, we're running a little, little past our usual break period. Um, good got, conversation. Man. Yeah. We got to know a little bit about Kevin's early life. When we get back, we'd love to know about your, um, the occupation you were in and then I would say probably your golden years of hunting and all your stories that okay. uh, sure. they got with that. So with that being said, let's hear a little word from our sponsor. I just wanted to take a moment of your time to talk to you about one of our sponsors, F&H Contracting and Fence, located in Billings, Montana. If you're looking to spruce up your yard or want a little more privacy for them summer backyard barbecues, or maybe you just need part of your fence repaired, contact our friends at F&H Contracting and Fence by texting 406 406- 661-7484. From front yards to farmyards and even chain link to vinyl, they've got you covered. Now back to the action. Welcome back after those words from our sponsors. Hey, Sean, are you a little bummed you didn't get to go fishing this weekend with the boys? No. No? I actually wasn't that bummed. I had... What did you do yesterday? A lot of putting shit away. I bet. Yeah, I, I walked into your house before you left for your honeymoon and it really kind of looked like you guys had moved in all over again. Yep. Nice. I was thinking about um that's presents for you from the wedding. getting you guys some picture frames. Yeah. For your birthday. Do you no. think do you think No. You guys you want some more? No, we got about 900 of them, so. <laughs> I never like have seen that as like oh, my friends are getting married. Let's buy them some picture frames. Like that's never the first thing. Well, I think it's a woman. No, they were they were a part of the wedding. It was part of decoration. Oh, why we have so many. Oh, I see. Yeah. Um, well, that makes more sense. You know, it's funny because I, I told Addison this, that does it classify you as an adult to own an umbrella? I have one. You own an umbrella? Because it took me till I was married till I owned an umbrella. I'll, I'll tell you why I own an umbrella. And this kind of circles back to trap shooting. I went to Missoula one year. And it rained. I was there for the entirety of state. So state runs Tuesday night through or Tuesday evening through Sunday. It rained every single day. And so I bought one of those big umbrellas. I have no idea where it's at, but I know it's still around. It's one of those umbrellas that like hooks into the back of your chair. Mm. It's big. So I was not an adult at that time. So I think you got a free pass on this one. Yeah. Good. Good. But. I also ended up with a rain jacket for the same reason. Well, I don't even own a rain jacket. Yeah, you do. Yeah, I do. Yeah, you that was a lie. It. I just lied straight to yeah. everybody's face. You have the same one as me. <laughs> but anyway, Riley has some ideas of what he wants to get into with Kevin. Oh, thanks, That's Sean. how we're going to do that. <laughs> that was a really, that was really the most, good transition. That was the most terrible transition we've ever had. Sean hasn't been on the mic in a month, I guess. And well, no, that, you know what's funny is I was, I, Riley brought this up on Sunday when you guys were there, but it was funny when I had the little speech at the reception. I literally, the whole time I was thinking, I was like, I was really just about to say like, wow, Ramsey and Riley, I, I you know, I've been on a mic for over 30 episodes of a podcast and I just went full idiot. <laughs> yeah. He literally... <laughs> for kevin that wasn't there he said the exact same thing that his wife had just said 10 seconds before him mm-hmm. yeah and i was like uh, let's uh let's just have a good time uh, let me say it for the 10th time thanks for coming i didn't know what to say and you know i've been i've been sitting at this table and in various tables in front of a camera and, and, and on the, a mic this for a dude, long time 
I don't I don't know if if Addison knows about this, but he he had been thinking about his vows for a while. Saturday, the morning of the wedding, this dude's sitting there writing his vows. Most beautiful vows I've ever heard come out of a man's mouth, by the way. Knowing Sean, that was very, very... It was yeah. very out of pocket for you. But, uh, it's not that hard to write down true feelings. Oh, oh my oh gosh. Okay. Cringe. Anyways. Okay. I'm going I'm to tell you something, <laughs> you know, Sean. I've been married 51 years. And I'm going to give you one rule. And this is a rule that you take with you and, and you, you apply it to your wife. There's only one rule in life, and that's women rule. <laughs> I agree with that. <laughs> there you go. That'll work really well for you. <laughs> well, with Sean's amazing transition, I will start this back off. With Take it over, Mr. Kevin Bocci. Yeah, Thank you. We would love to know, um, we're very fascinated with the idea that you spent a good portion of your life in the industry. Uh, why don't you just give us like what you did, kind of what adventures came from it, and knowledge, and let's just let's just talk about it. Okay. Um, well, I worked for uh, a distributor that was uh, based out in the east, and they had seven sales offices around the country. In our office here, um, we had four or five guys, and you know some of those guys that I worked with, but I worked for 42 years in the industry. So as a result of that, you know, I had a territory. I traveled out to western Montana, all of Idaho, half of Washington and in half of Wyoming. And uh, I would travel and put on, uh, you know, weekend uh, um, displays and I would uh, sell products for the for the customer. So a customer would have a, a sale going on for the weekend. I would fly in and I would go over to their store and I'd get behind their counters. And, you know, I was kind of an expert on on guns or fishing or whatever it was. And uh, <clears throat> so I did that, and uh, I, I had some really good experiences. Uh, in the industry, um, all their reps come around to the different uh, locations, and they take us up on the range, and we get to shoot all their toys. Uh, I've shot Smiths, Taurus, Remington, Winchester. Um, we've shot big, you know, fully machine gun FNs. We've uh, <laughs> shot... Uh, 500s and Smiths, um, you know, so just about anything that you can pull a trigger on, I've had a chance to shoot it. So, wow, um, it, it was good. It was a good industry. So what um, do you think that you could probably name every caliber that ever existed with your experience? Oh, man, uh, you know, that's tough. That's a tall order to ask. I yeah. Guess. That, you know, you start down at the 22 or you know, 17 HMR. Uh, there's a 22 HMR. Um, then you go into 22 Magnums, and you go up to you know 220, 220 Swifts, uh, 222, 22 Remington Mag, uh, 223s, 243s. You know, and it just keeps going on. And then you can get into all kinds of Wildcats. Anything that's got like a 30, 378, 30, 338. Uh, those are calibers that that people design the bullet for. And then made a gun for. Mm -hmm. I had a friend of mine. <clears throat> he was a dealer down in uh, Idaho, Idaho Springs, and uh, he had one called the Hillbilly, and he made this this gun that uh, when he traveled through the airports, um, they would stop him and look at this gun, and this gun was like like a military type gun, but it would shoot over a thousand yards, 
and he was in New Zealand, and he actually, um, the guy says, hey, we need to get some camp meat. You know, like we were talking about that. He said, well, there's a, there's a hind over on that hillside over there. It's 700 yards. And uh, my friend looked at him, and he says, well, I'll take the hillbilly. And he says, uh, I'll shoot him in the neck. And the, the guide looked at him and just kind of shook his head, said, no, there's no way. And he laid down across the rock there and popped it and shot him right in the neck, right where he said he was. And, wow. Uh, wow. But this this bullet was, uh, he you know, it was something that he made. You know, he actually was a gunsmith, and he knew about all the different calibers. I couldn't even tell you. I mean, it it looked like a fifty caliber. Really? <laughs> you know, it was amazing. So a question I have, and I've heard from some guys on this side of the state, do you think that there is a right caliber per region or per side of Montana? Well, you know, yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, the game right now is long distance. Right. I, I don't like it. <laughs> and the only reason I don't like it is because – you know, you take the average guy that goes out, and he doesn't shoot a lot. And so when he gets behind a, a good scope and a, and a gun that can shoot that far, um, I don't think they make the best choices. In oh, they're they, going to do it. For you sure. know, they're going to they're, they're gonna make some, some bad choices as far as where they hit the animal, you know. But you take a good, skilled sniper-type guy, yeah, they can do it. It's There's no problem with that. But I would say, like, the average— the average gun out in the you know out in our areas would be like the newest caliber six five Creedmoor obviously, but I would say probably for most people a a three hundred caliber um, anywhere like my favorite caliber you know hunting deer and antelope is two forty three two forty three will just that's a good gun so that that uh, I had this question reeled up. And that kind of answers a little bit of it because I can see where you're going. Show to Sean. I just watched him cross out that question. <laughs> well, I think the biggest argument in because we have a, we have some people that we know we've interviewed from back east. So there's a lot of whitetail hunting, um, and when it comes to whitetail hunting and some mule deer hunting, I think the argument on is between three calibers. And I think it's two forty three, two seventy, and thirty out six. What of those three calibers would you take to the grave as the ultimate deer gun? Not elk, not the deer gun. Well, my personal preference is 243. 270 is a great caliber. I had that for many years. It'll shoot everything. It's a little light for elk. But then you take a 30 odd six, and you can go from a 69 grain bullet all the way up to a 220 grain bullet. Well, that is probably your one you would take to the grave with you. The thirty odd six. I like to hear that. And is that what you shoot, Sean? Yeah. Well, okay, that's what he has. He doesn't actually shoot well, it. The only thing <laughs> the, the only thing I would say about the thirty odd six is that you have so much range in the weight of, of the bullet. So if you're shooting antelope or if you're shooting elk, uh, you can go to one sixty five, you can go to, you know, uh, all the way up to two twenty if you want to. It's a well rounded caliber I yeah i just seem it seems like all the argument and all the conversations around those three calibers whereas like there's definitely tons and tons of outside calibers right whereas like i'm i'm dedicated seven millimeter guy ramsey's a 300 win guy but i would say like if you hear from like let's say i'm gonna have a client if i'm gonna have 10 clients come up i will probably and there's a lot of seven mm guys but the 243 270 is very popular 
I would say. Yeah. And I, you know, this is, I've heard from a guy on this side of the state that he classified Western side of the state, two main calibers, 30 out six and 270. And that's for, that's for elk hunting. Elk hunting over here is seven mm and 300. Well, I'll tell you what the best caliber is for elk hunting. 338. 338 because it flat out knocks them down. Uh, I can see that. So like, and that's something I'm unfamiliar with. Is that when they talk about like a 338 Lapua? No, 338. That's a different. That's a whole different. 338 wind mag. Yeah. What what millimeter bullet is that? I want to say it's over 200 grain. Okay. I would say. So it's a 33 caliber. But right, they designed the 338 for elk hunting. They designed it for that. Uh, Now, are the other calibers capable of killing an elk? Yeah, they are. All of them. 30 odd six. 300 win. You can even do it with a 243, a little light. But if you place the shot, they're fine. But I know for the most part, uh, most of your big elk hunters and that, they, they use anything in the 300 and above for elk when we're talking elk. You know, I did. I do think I'm going to switch to the 6.5 for antelope hunting this year. Cause that's not a bad idea. Shooting, you- shooting my antelope with my last antelope, I shot it with my 300 and it just. Here's what happens with that. They go it, so fast and there's not enough there that it doesn't have time to expand. Yeah, that's exactly right. I had a friend of mine that shot a 338 on antelope and it'd blow right through him and he'd lose the antelope. The antelope would take off running and they'd just keep going because it just doesn't put the the shock power into them. Shoot them with a 243, they're only going to take a step. You shoot them with a 30 odd six, they're only going to take a step. Would you say as far as a 30 odd six, because I typically shoot a 180 grain bullet with my 30 odd six, do you think that's too much Yeah, for an antelope? No, it's good for elk, but I would say I would go down to 165 or 150 if you're going to hunt antelope. Okay, and then that, I mean, I've gotten into, the first deer I ever shot was with a, it was a hundred and, I think it was 165 grain polymer, uh, 30 odd six shell. Mm-hmm. And do you see a big difference in polymers to? The only thing with the polymers, uh, because of the ballistics on them and the coefficient on them, they're gonna they're gonna be a lot straighter. They'll they'll stay uh, more accurate longer. That's the only difference in a polymer. They're still gonna they're still gonna expand back, and they're gonna they're gonna do a lot of damage. So the polymers are great. Uh, you know, I, 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 I recommend them too. So, what was the the bullet that you were talking about the other day that you would that you would recommend to anybody just based off of kill kill power? Well, when I was back at the Anoka, back at Federal's factory, I, I grabbed the uh, the head engineer of bullets, and I said, "Tell me what bullet you would recommend to me." I says, I don't want no, you know, no bull about it. I, I want to know what you feel is the best bullet. And he said, the fusion is what I recommend. Now, a fusion is a copper bullet. They expand really well. And you can get them in all calibers, all the way down, all the way up. Um, and they're cheaper than the premium bullets. They're a lot cheaper than premium bullets. I don't know if I haven't checked the prices on them late. But I use fusion in... In 243s, 7 mm 08s, uh, 300 win short. Um, so I used them in all of those. And, I mean, I everything I shot, it put them right down. So a follow-up question on the on the polymers. Would you say, so like a 30-odd-6, obviously you get that arc 
with your shot. Does a polymer bullet help that a lot, or is it just? I mean, it's it's a thirty out six. It's going to do the what it's going to do. It's going to do what it's going to do. The yeah. polymer, all that does is it it just it, it if it hits anything, it's going to push that bullet back. That's what kills the animal, right? With the static shock, when it hits that animal, that's what you know. You don't want the bullet to just punch right through it. You want it to give that shock to it. And the bigger the bigger animal with the three hundreds, uh, you know, it's a lot better to shoot them with a bigger caliber because it's got more more knockdown power. Right. But on a smaller animal like an antelope, it's going to go boom, right through them, and it's not going to make a difference. It's it's you're going to lose some. So that's a that's a thought to think about because I you know just have I don't know some hundred rounds of one hundred eighty grain thirty odd six bullets. Um, you know, a good question I have. I have, I have mixed feelings on the six five Creedmoor. That is going to lead. I was just about to say the same thing. I believe that you're probably not well versed in the Instagram TikTok world. Would be my guess. Not much. A lot of the videos that I consume, people really either are hardcore six five Creedmoor guys, or people talk major shit on the 6.5 Creedmoor, and I don't understand either. I, I've owned one, and I will say my favorite thing about it was the low recoil with the power still. So I was able to, like, let's say, and this isn't really the ideal situation for a 6.5 Creedmoor. It's almost, some would say, a waste of bullets for that caliber, but I love the fact that I could shoot a prairie dog. I would get no kickback. I would get no blink in my eye. I would be able to shoot, reload, and get right next to another hill without any hesitation or any... It was just like it was an easy, smooth, and it was easy on my shoulder. But a lot of guys talk shit on the 6.5 Creedmoor saying it's a... Uh, what's a nice term to put this? It's a millennial gun. Hit it, don't hit well, it with your purse. It's a pansy gun. He, well, here's what happens. Here's what happens. When a gun is, is introduced into the industry, like say a 6.5 Creedmoor, now they got all kinds of times, times, whatever, you know. But a 6.5 Creedmoor was introduced. What happens is, is that the major manufacturers are not going to build a rifle unless they do a lot of field testing on that particular weapon. So they will test it, test it, test it. And then if they deem that there's a, you know, they'll put a lot of articles out there and you guys will read them and you'll read them in the papers, you read them in those rags. And then all of a sudden everybody goes, oh, we got to have one of those. And then then they start to build them. And then Hornaday, Remington, Winchester will start to build the ammo. So the thing is, is that a caliber like that is just, it, it, it was put into the industry because of, you know, just the hype. So it's trendy, really. It is a trend, and it's just something that's not going to last, you know. Like like you say, 270, that's been in there. You say 30-odd-6, it's been in there forever. You know, it's when these guys make these little changes to them that uh, the Creedmoors and that kind of thing, you know, all it is is some some hand loader made that, and then he somehow got it into the industry by news articles or, you know, they take it out on the range or they use it in hunting. What what would you say your opinion on using a 6.5 Creedmoor for elk hunting? Is I think it's light for my own personal feeling. I think it's too light. I think the gun warrants more for 
uh, antelope and deer. Um, just uh, the, the problem is, is you can shoot that caliber a long ways. That's what everybody likes. They like to be able to shoot, mm-hmm. you know, 700 yards. Why are you shooting that? Because is, is that because it's a flat shooting round? Because oh, it's yeah. a flat shooting round. Okay. Yeah. I I listened to a video somewhere on on an engineer had to have been with an ammo ammo manufacturer saying that there's certain types of six five bullets that can hit supersonic is what I've is what I heard. Yeah, which it's the design of the bullet that makes it accurate and makes it long range. That's the design of the bullet. You can shoot a three oh eight. A thousand yards. You can shoot your thirty odd six a thousand yards, but you don't have the type of bullet that's going to do any kind of damage down. There. Right. And you know, I have buddies that have moved past the six five, and they're into the into the the builds of a six five. So I got a buddy who's got a six five Grendel. That's <laughs> you know, take it or leave it. Yeah, it's the same gun. I think. I mean, as far as like a six five Grendel, I'm not. I think you can just do different mods and builds to the actual uh, appeal of the gun. I think the the ammo is the same. Correct. It, There's it, not. It, it might have a difference of a shoulder. It might be the way the brass is is put into the bullet. I mean, it's there's there's something that's different as far as the Grendel uh, portion of it. But the six five is still a six five. Right. And so. A lot of it is just, you know, it's like a Weatherby caliber. The Weatherbys have that shoulder on just about all their calibers. That's why they call them a 257 Weatherby. That's why they call them a, a 300 Weatherby. You know, and it, you can't shoot a 300 Winchester in there. Right. You know. <clears throat> so and it, it's you, you know, know Garrett's new gun, right? What did he get? So he won at a Ducks Unlimited banquet. He won a six five three hundred. So it's a six five bullet necked or a three hundred bullet neck down to fit a six five bullet. You know, I, I have heard that. That didn't before. make any sense. Sorry. It's a three hundred casing. Yeah. It's neck six, down to a six five bullet. So the six five is neck down to a three hundred case. So it's gonna be a super fast, long range type yeah. of a gun. You know, I have heard that before from uh, uh some buddies in the military that um have told me that you can actually bore um, barrels differently if it's like, say, you bought a 300 barrel. You can bore them differently to shoot. I guess it'd be vice versa. It's a lighter gun with a lighter caliber that you can bore to shoot a higher caliber bullet is what they basically – because you get the – which, I mean, of course, nowadays we have the Tikas and everything that are – you know, that's carrying a feather around except for your scope weight, but – that used to be a really big thing, I think, before these light, light, you know, naked guns came out. And that was just super interesting to me because, you know, milling, doing all that stuff, building your own guns, as far as that, that's just it's just crazy to me. That uh, you got to have an action, and then you have to bore... The, you know, you have to bore out the bore to whatever you're going to shoot. You right. know, if it's a 6.5... Or if it's a seven mag or whatever, and then the the angle of your spirals will even affect the bullet even that much more. That's right. And you know, I did hear from a, a my buddy's dad that I used to hunt with quite a bit. Um, he mentioned that because he reloaded ammo himself, he mentioned that his he was a very big advocate on your gun. Say you shoot a three hundred and you pack your own ammo down to the exact grain 
can make you that much more accurate. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, if you reload your own, you re- reload your own ammo, you, you, you take, you know, say you take three rounds, you load it with so many grains, and the next one is less, maybe five grains or maybe five grains more, until you find the one three-pack that shoots the best group. Right. That's how you get down to, you know, shooting out in the same hole. Would you say that's – it's a huge part of being accurate, or do you think somebody that took the time at the range could get that accurate with just a regular federal round or, or – the ammo today is that good to get that kind of accuracy, especially in your Hornaday. Hornaday makes a, an ELD bullet, they you know, and their ammo is in an ELD or I guess I think that's a, the nomenclature of it. But that ammo is very accurate and it's very, uh, you know, it's not like scooping it up and putting a bullet in it, you know. But if you are a reloader, then you can go grain by grain. You know, and you can actually get that bullet. To the decimal point. Yeah, and not all guns, not all guns shoot the same. So what happens is is a lot of these guys that are trying to reload them, there may be a gun that, that if I shot factory loads in it, it would not shoot anything, you know, smaller than that, you know, a pie plate. But if I take my reloader and i reload my rounds and i get them down to deals i can get them into a group like that right you know if your gun's not shooting an inch group sell it if it's not shooting an inch group sell it or get figure out your ammo until you get it to where it shoots an inch group yeah which goes a lot into um for the listeners out there practice 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 is mm-hmm. is you know because and i i will take um, the blame for this in certain years of my hunting career, career, hunting life. I don't know what you would say where, you know, I didn't pick up my rifle from November until October. I mean, it, it happened, but it's, it's super important for that kind of grouping, that kind of, um, I, I will comfortability. Tell you no matter what you did, your gun was always sighted. Well, we, and we have, I've actually been lucky the last couple years that if I'm busy, um, you know, especially like last year when I started, um, what do you call it? Words. Shadowing. Shadowing. Dave guiding. I didn't have the time to do the rifle hunting. So I had a really good friend that has a, a, a home rifle, uh, range and he would sight my gun in for me, which I mean, sounds a little pretentious and spoiled, but it was, it was something that I was, um, blessed to have, uh, to put a cap on the six five conversation cap. <laughs> Grade F to A. I'm gonna give you three situations. I want you to tell me, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, like high school grading, what you think the the six five Creedmoor grades in this type of hunting. All right. Mm-hmm. So first we're gonna go um antelope and deer. I would say uh A. An A? Yep. Elk. I would say probably a D. A D, okay. And then, see, this is where I get into, you'll see why I'm asking this after we get the grade here. Uh, Predator coyote calling, coyotes would be the the last category here. I would say a C. And I'm going to ask you if your C grade is because what I've found with the 6.5 Creedmoor and calibers alike it is they are a good deer gun, but they're 
underpowered for elk and overpowered for prey for predators. predators. And and is that what you would agree to as well? Yep. That's Good. What I agree to. See, I don't have a problem. I, I think in the right circumstance that people should stop giving hate on the six five creed more. But it's not the the all around gun. Like, That's the biggest problem, though. Is like you said, all these guys. There's a lot of hate. There's a lot of you know positive vibes towards it. But it's because the positive vibe people want to take that out, and that gun can shoot accurate if you're good at 800 plus yards. Right. Yeah. And they may or more than likely are not accurate at that range. But guess what? My gun shoots that far, so I'm sure as hell going to do it. Right. And that's the biggest problem that I think a lot of ethical hunters that are not pro six five. That is the reason. The the negative negative guys on on the six five are guys that haven't shot anything with them. Right. I mean, those are guys that are looking at what it does out on the range or whatever, but they probably have not shot a lot of game with them. Guys that are positive about it, they kill game. You know. You know, I did hear a thing though, because like Nick. Uh, a, a buddy of ours hunts with a 6.5 and he shot elk and deer. He originally, I think he shot a 30 odd six was his, his gun before the 6.5. Um, he said his biggest problem, he loves it. I mean, he loves the 6.5. His biggest problem with it was he shot the first, I think the first animal he, he harvested with a 6.5 was a, was a cow elk. And when he shot, he thought he just plain missed because it didn't make that thump noise. And he thought he plain missed. And this thing was just standing there like nothing happened. And, you know, a couple minutes later, all of a sudden the teeter started and it, it came down. And he goes, that was just the biggest surprise to me that you don't hear or see that moment, you know, that you get with a 30 odd six, a, a 7 mm, 300. 243 whatever whatever game you're shooting that you know you hit that animal yeah yep so we know a lot okay first of all would you consider yourself a, a gunhead guy like a you know you're very into it oh yeah uh we know quite a few guys like that and we actually we hunt on a guy's property that he could take you and show you every gun he's had for the last 50 years um and so we already know that you're a 243 deer hunting guy, but to finish up this kind of rifle conversation here before we head to break, do you have a caliber um, or a gun or anything like that that you like throughout your life that like is just like sentimental and like your favorite caliber of gun? And it doesn't have to be a hunting rifle, but just something that like you would treasure in your safe. If and you had basically to sum up, if you had every gun you could imagine in front of you, what's the one you would grab? Uh, 270. Okay. <clears throat> I, I hunted with a 270. My kids hunted with 270s. Um, the only reason I like the 243 is because it doesn't kick, you know, and, and they're accurate and they put deer down. But on the other hand, I've shot a lot of animals with uh, 270. A lot of deer, a lot of shot, um, shot my cow elk with it. So, I mean, I've shot two elk and they're both cows and put them right down. So. 270. 270 that's, it is. That's a, I, you know. I'm Do you guys honest. have one? You know, I, this, outside of this, I'm going to, I'm going to just kind of side bank this real quick outside of, before I answer, outside of that. Lever action guns for deer hunting would be 
like Nick has a my, my buddy Nick has a 32 special. He can't find bullets for it. He's got a few. He he got it from his grandfather. Uh, when his grandfather passed away, he he got it. And him and I have been talking a lot about you know that would be I mean iron sights. It'd be really cool to go out and you know even even with a B tag, and to shoot a doe. Anything like that that would be I mean extremely cool to do. Did I agree. Say, did you say it was thirty two Winchester? No, it was a it's a thirty two special. I think it is a Winchester. Okay, but they make a thirty two Winchester. They do. Yeah, and it's a longer caliber. I mean, it's a longer brass. 32 that you're talking about. You saddle know, gun. Yeah. It's a saddle gun. It's something that you shoot maybe 75 yards. Right. You know, but it'll kill a little deer. That's funny you bring that up because I've been talking to Ramsey and uh, our co-worker. He's, a, he's another gun nut. Uh, dude's got like 17 safes in his house. <laughs> he's he's <laughs> Five wild. buried under the ground. The guy has one of those Just guys. Just the ones he'll tell you about. Probably has... More guns in his house than socks. He's he's one of the guys you talk to that, uh, I don't know, but this is just a funny statement that it, he doesn't actually own a gun. He lost them all in a tragic boating accident. Yes, that is uh, very For whatever similar. reason, he had all his guns on a boat. I don't know. And but. all those guns in the boat, uh, there's more guns in that boat than there's socks in the sock. <laughs> um, but uh, holy cow, I lost my train. What is it for you? What, what caliber? Oh, well, before that, Ramsey and I and, and this guy have been talking about, I am fascinated because I've never shot one. I think it comes from watching Yellowstone, which is really embarrassing to say out loud. <laughs> I am fascinated with shooting a thirty thirty. Yeah. Like I've never shot one, but I want one so bad. You can't find ammo for Have it. Have you shot a thirty thirty before, Kevin? I've shot them all. Yeah, I am. Wow. The thirty thirty. Are they fun? Oh, they are. They're absolutely fun. And to shoot them, I mean, you're talking about history, nostalgia. Uh, they'll kill anything on the planet. They've killed everything. Right. You know, they'll kill elk. They'll kill deer. They'll kill. You know. And the bullets today, like your your uh, Hornaday bullets, have a ballistic tip on them, and they're really accurate. And, uh, you know, that's the bullet I would use instead of a round nose or a flat nose, mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah, I, uh, yeah, we were just talking about how fascinated I've been with that. But as far as uh, I can't get away from my Tika 7mm, I will take it to my grave. So, if I could own any gun in the world, 444 Marlin. Never shot one, so I can't even can't even lever action. Yep. Yep. Forty four <coughs> Marlin is a great gun. I mean, it's it's a it, they they call them a brush gun. They use them in Alaska a lot, and they shoot uh, big bears with them. Where have you shot one of those at? Uh, my buddy Chandler has one. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I well, have one. Now, now, here's what I would recommend if you're looking for a thirty thirty, go to Henry 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 Rifles. That's where I would buy it. Uh, I wouldn't look for Winchester because you're not going to find them, and they're going to be thousand dollars. Yeah, you know. Well, I want one. I want to just uh, get I want to like get on a horse and just drive right around. You know, since <laughs> since we targets. since we have such a you know firearms expert in the in the studio tonight, I w- before I answer, I want to ask him this: What is your opinion on over unders? Over and under rifles? Uh, well, essentially, because I I think I shot a. A forty-five seventy, a savage. Yes, and it was a. I think it was a twenty under with a three fifty-seven over. Yep. What is your opinion on those? Is those are trapper guns. Those are guys that use them for trapping. Uh, you got um, whatever caliber you said. What was it on? It was a. It was a twenty, and then a three fifty-seven over. Okay, so it was a three fifty-seven. So yeah, you come up on a coyote or something on a trap, 
you know, you blast him with a three fifty seven, or you know, how accurate can you really be with? with they can't be that. They're not very accurate. You know, they're not designed for that. They're designed to trappers use them a lot, and they use them like in a twenty two mag and a twenty gauge. You can also get them. You know, I don't even know if they still make them, but Savage made them for a long time. But uh, like a twenty two magnum would be excellent. You know, and that and. You know, you're not shooting very far. Right. I remember some Ducks Unlimited banquets where they were giving away the 22. I think it was a 22 410 that yeah. was, was yeah, coming out. That is a very, I've actually, I know a couple guys I think that it'd be fun to have, have that one. gun. So, it would, you know, like if there was ducks on a pond, you could kill them with a 20 gauge or even a 410. You could, you could kill them, you know, with a 22. Yeah. <laughs> if it was legal. If it was legal. Uh, or you could shoot, you could shoot a duck on one hand and then turn around and shoot a rabbit. Shoot a <laughs> have you ever shot birdshot with a with a twenty two? I have. My dad, for that some reason, the, had a whole block of it. So oddest thing to shoot with. I'll, I'll do even one better. The other day, I was at Cabela's and I found nine millimeter birdshot. Yep. How many pellets are in that? Is that are those not very many? Are those There's for snake be like, killing or what? what yeah, they use them for snakes. So is that is that technically snake shot? When you hear somebody say snake shot, it's actually birdshot. Is that what? It, 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 there's little pellets in it, but it's for snakes basically. Right. You can get them in nine mm, three fifty seven. You can get them in twenty two, and I think twenty two magnum. Mm-hmm. I think. Can you? I, I thought it might have saw them in, in forty five or my. Oh, and there's forty five. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure a right. lot of pistol yeah. caliber, popular pistol yeah. caliber. I know ten mil too. Yeah, you can get them in. But what was your what was your answer to that? He's gonna say thirty out six. <sighs> Just wait. He's gonna say thirty out. It's a it's a toss up because I have shot Ramsey's three hundred before, and I absolutely want to buy a Tika three hundred. Just because of the the you know the Tika qualities there, the workability is there. I mean, it is with every gun, but the just the sheer weight of a Tika is amazing. But honestly, I'm going to probably have to go to Springfield 30 at six. I mean, that's, it's a, it's a solid. And I'm talking like Woodstock, like, you know, Normandy beach, Springfield 30 at six. Those Uh, guns are, my dad's got one of those. I've shot many deer with that gun. I've shot those. (laughs) They pound the shit out. They do do that. That is true. (laughs) They do. But you know, he's talking about shooting a 300 out of the lightest gun. When I'm guiding, right. When I'm guiding this year, I'm going to, I'll leave my Tika with you and you can see if you like the Tika seven on I, I do like this. I mean, what is the toss up between the thirty or not thirty at six, but the three hundred to a seven mm? I mean, three hundred bigger gaining, and you just have a bigger, bigger choice of caliber. I mean, bullet wise, you can get a bigger bullet with a three hundred. Seven mag has got a lot of power. You know, there's nothing wrong with a seven mag. But I'll, I'll say one thing: Tikas are the best. I've owned probably ten Tikas, all calibers, from two two three. 22250 all the way up to 300. So they kick a lot more because they're so light at the 300 nope, caliber? No, they don't. Wow. And like Kevin and I were talking the other day, out of the box, they're the most accurate barrels on the planet, I think. Every, well, besides every like. Every gun that I had. Don't they sight those in at like their groupings? Bore like a, they're bore sighted. They're, they're bore sighted at like a they're, thousand yards, right? No, 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 no. No? They sight them in at a hundred yards. Okay. But uh, they're actually, they there should be a target in there that should be a half inch group. Normally, they're a half-inch group, and all the guns I had, every one of them, every caliber I shot, shot less than an inch, and most of them were all half-inch groups. You know, I, I have had a guy that has been waiting for me to bring this up, and I, now that we're talking about the 7mm, seven, the seven I got I to gotta do it, but I had a buddy who went down to Alaska to go uh, 
he had a tag where it was basically you could shoot a black bear or a moose. Didn't didn't see any moose. <coughs> um, I think he he won't admit it, but the other buddy that was with him, uh, he shot forty bullets and didn't kill a single bear. And it ranged from shooting at six hundred yards to seventy yards, wow. and he missed every accuracy. Every single time. No, I'm just like, it's straight up as a 7mm. Uh, it was just a funny story about it. Um, he actually sold that gun in Alaska before they left. I, I bet that that sounds like more like an optics problem to me than a, than it, a it gun. Could, yeah, I think it would be an optic problem. But there are some guns. But when a, when a gun comes off the factory line, you know, they, they come out and they're, they're pin, usually are pin barrels. So what, what happens is, is that that gun is... They're very accurate when they start, but when they get to the end of it, some of those guns do not or will never shoot. It just the headspace in them is so wrong that uh, it doesn't matter what caliber gun or bullet you put in, it's not going to work. Uh, before we we wrap up this segment, is there tells? Because like I I build fishing poles, um, so I know tells basically with splines and everything like that. If you buy a factory built um, pole to figure out strong spine, weak spine, stuff like that. Is there tells like that that you can, like, little tricks or anything when you're buying a rifle to be able to point out? Before, just like you're buying a car, you know, if you... Well, the hard part about it is, you know, unless you've shot it, you know, you don't know exactly where that accuracy is going to come. But if you're shooting a gun and it's, it's, it's putting you in a circle of about two or three inches, it's not a good gun. And it's a gun that there may be an optics problem, could be, but for the most part, that gun should shoot half-inch groups. And that's why I that's why I went to Tika's is because out of the box, guaranteed, they're going to shoot a half-inch group. That's I can test. I know, and I know a lot of friends that have. Uh, Josh just got a Tika. I'm almost positive. Um, I'm 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 a fan too. Isaac, a need, Isaac has a 308 TK. I need to fall into suit there, and I I every time I go to Shields, I pick I pick a TK up at 300, and I'm like, man, this because I carry around the old Woodstock 30 odd six Winchester. The thing you know already weighs 25 pounds. <laughs> you know, there's nothing wrong with Winchesters. There's nothing wrong with Remingtons. You know, those guns have been around for centuries. You know. But again, you know, every once in a while, you'll find one that just won't ever shoot for you. Mm-hmm. We we had a Ruger uh, 77R and a 22-250, and my brother's a reloader. I mean, he could, he, you know, he could get them down to nothing. We could never get it to load right. And you know what we found out? It was the powder that he had. He had to get new powder because he had some powder that he had around for a while, and the powder was bad. Oh, wow. <laughs> It took us a while to figure it out. But that, that's it. just like, I, I could never get into that. too much I'm already doing. I could never get into reloading for rifle because I just it's, don't it's just trust as myself. much stress and energy as I feel like. That's what the tools are for. But no, but that's the thing. is like I have guys that I've done work for, and they're like, hey, you know, take this, this much off, and I'll reload some bullets for you. And I'm like... I wouldn't even trust myself to reload bullets. <laughs> you know, the thing is, is that the ammo today is so much better. Like I say, if, you, if you're if you shooting Hornady-type ammo, their premium ammo is cheaper than everything else. If you shoot Fusion, you're, che- you're shooting a really good ammo. 
you know, why, why not buy that? Yeah. Especially if you like have a a high investment in bow hunting and fishing and stuff like that. (coughs) Well, we better wrap up the, the rifle talk when we get back. Um, hunting, I think we'll be into hunting, but there's also another thing that we haven't brought up about Kevin Bocci here that uh, I think we need to touch a little bit on and we will check that out when we get right back hear a word from these sponsors. Two Leggings Outfitters out of Hardin, Montana is your one-stop shop for the best hunting and fishing adventures Montana has to offer. If you're looking for fishing adventures, big game hunting, bird hunting, and much more, get a hold of Dave or Patty at Two Leggings Outfitters 406-665-2825. Book the adventure of a lifetime today. All right, welcome back. We are still here with our guest, Kevin Bocci. Still here. Still here. We're graced. We're great. I was presence. just saying that he's still with us to have conversation. Also, also, poor intro, Riley. Thank you for listening from those words from our sponsors. Oh, well, thanks, guys, for reminding me. Partnering, partnering with Bull Mountain Brothers. <laughs> um, <laughs> we've got a lot to do in our last segment here. Um, so let's get the questions going for Mr. Kevin. Uh, we talked earlier when we first got on the podcast and we introduced you as knowing you through trap shooting for, uh, for a long time now. Um, how did you get into trap shooting and how long have you been shooting trap? Well, as long as we've been, you know, a team, you know, we've been shooting with, uh, actually I got invited by, uh, Scott and Brett. They invited me to come and, I thought, you know, maybe it'll help me be a better pheasant hunter. So I started shooting and um, took off, and then I got competitive. I'm real competitive. <laughs> yeah, I'd say that just from the outside looking in, it's got to be one of your highest passions right now. It is. It is. You know, with me being retired right now, and um, it's just something I enjoy doing. I mean, it's always fun to shoot. It is. It is. Uh, it's something that will always be in our blood. I mean, Ramsey and I have been doing it for had 17, 16, 17 years. Um, but are you are you more of a rifle guy or a shotgun guy? No, I'm a shotgun. You know, that's just primarily what I do. But at one time, you know, I, I did it all, you know. I shot handguns. I shot rifles. Um, I wasn't competitive in <clears throat> the rifles and, you know, not like being with a shotgun, you know. I mean, I've competed in all the events you guys compete in. I've been mm-hmm. at state shoots. I've won state shoots, you know. Got a lot of awards. Got a lot of trophies. A lot of belt buckles, you know. So over a 10, 11-year period, you know. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I'd always set goals for myself. And when I set those goals, you know, I'll try to reach them. Yeah. No, it's it's one of those things that you can stay in forever and uh, you can always compete. Your, your, your biggest competitor is yourself, usually. Um, Pro- but, probably uh, not a sport for uh, for Sean. Why? We could teach him. He's he's gonna need some coaching on. Well, the, I don't know if you talk gun. Chad into shooting. Maybe Sean will do it. I yeah. can't, I Did I tell you that? I can't hit the broadside of a barn with it. It doesn't take. We teach you. I mean, I did. I guess I did shoot do, a turkey do, this do you year. Hunt but pheasants? No, I turkey hunt. Um, well, just think of it as a smaller turkey. A much smaller turkey. Uh, <laughs> we're actually really working on really hard. We want to take him waterfowl hunting. He's never. Have you never done it? Or I have. I just he, he doesn't like it, and we're really trying to give him a different perspective. 
You're going to hunt in the water or you're going to hunt on a field? We're going to take him to our duck blind first. And then I, if he'll go, he's very stubborn, but we're really working on him. Um, and then I'd love to, if I can get it arranged, stick him in a, in a ground blind for, for geese because there's nothing else like it. Yeah, there's nothing like it, man. To have things call them in, land on your head is unreal. In groups of thousands, it's, we won't get on that tangent. <laughs> um, but it's interesting to bring up the shotgun thing because we had talked a little bit earlier, Sean had brought up about like rifle, like finding the the tall tale signs that, are, that a rifle might be malfunctioning or not the best one to buy. And I think that a good tell on the shotgun here is there is no tell because both you uh, and Garrett purchased one of the most expensive, well, you got it as a retirement present, but uh, one of the most expensive combination uh, trap guns you can get other than like the really expensive ones. And uh, both of them cracked stocks in within a year. So it's like I, I think with rifles and shotguns, you just and, and you get Kevin, what you, get. you didn't shoot that gun very long either. I didn't. No, I, uh, I didn't. It just didn't fit me well, you know, and I just didn't like it. And uh, fits Seth very well. I know Seth shoots it really well. You know, he shoots it, but it still cracked its stock. Yeah. What What do you have now? I don't remember. I have a seven twenty five. Seven twenty five. Okay, so that's the newer version of. The XT, pretty much. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I've got one of the older uh, trap guns, you know, doesn't have the real high rib, but, uh, and then I, I had some work done to it. I had a stock put on it. And, Beautiful. By yeah. the way. Do you ever uh, look back on your retirement choice and wish you would have picked something else? Yeah. I really? probably would have, yeah. Would it have been a shotgun still or, or rifle? Mm, it'd been a shotgun. It'd have been a shotgun? <laughs> yeah. I don't know what if I had a choice now. Um, that's still like a, like that synergy is still like a, a, a one of the better combinations you can get. I don't know what else I would, unless I, you're going into Kohler or something. I would like definitely that. would have gotten it. I'm I'm shooting a CZ now. That's what I'm shooting now. CZ All American shoots good. Yeah, or Parazi or something yeah. like that. But this is all Chinese to Sean right now. How much do you think? I just mentioned two two shotguns, trap guns, a Parazi and a Kohler. How much do you think a, a mid- base model base Kohler? Model, I don't know, seventeen, eighteen hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Put another zero on that. Okay. A base Kohler is about ten grand. The the Ramsey and I. Uh, so I shoot a BT nine, a Browning BT nine trap. It's probably one of the cheapest. My old gun. It's one of the cheapest trap trap guns you can get so it's a nice it's a high-end gun but it's the cheapest trap gun you get they're like fifteen hundred dollars brand new and uh yours is even a plus this one though kevin's talking about his retirement that was probably a forty five hundred dollar gun i'm gonna i think forty five hundred four grand when they first came out they were a little little eager i think they were had about a fifty eight hundred dollar price tag on yeah trap shooting is one of those things where it's kind of like uh it's it's a rich it's a rich man's game in some points but there's still dudes we were shooting 870 Expresses, which you can get uh, out of a Walmart turnabout for about 250 bucks when we first started. And guys would shoot uh, very well with them. We did, you know. I, I shot my first 100 straight with a Remington 870. Shut up. Yeah. I didn't know that. I shot my first 100 straight with a BT, but that's funny. Well, okay. anyways, we can't get too much down this trap shooting rabbit hole because I don't know if it's much of our audience. And Sean looks like he's <coughs> out and lost in space right now. Um. We were talking the other day, Kevin, about a story that I really wanted to hear with the boys here. 
about how through work, was it through work or was it just through happen? I think it was through work. That you met one of the legends of the industry, Fred Bear. The yeah. father of archery hunting. Fa- yeah, the father of archery hunting. Yeah. Do, can you indulge in that and, and tell us that story and and everything about? Well, you kind of got a, a background of me getting into archery. You know, I started with a recurve, a bear recurve. It was a grizzly. And uh, just their kind of entry-level bow, but, you know, that's what I hunted with. And I hunted for many years with that. Well, down the road, you know, I always, I had everything that Fred Bear could possibly put out there, you know, any magazine, any catalog, you know. And then we started selling bear archery as a distributor. And we had a sales contest. And uh, if uh, we won the contest, we got to go hunt with Fred Bear. And Fred was in his 80s at the time, and, and it was like in 1980 when this contest came on. And I I was just excited, like, man, I'm going to do this, you know. And I mean, I have no problem selling stuff. So I started selling products, and I was the top salesman in our whole whole region and in, in our whole company. And so I won the trip. And I'd also at that time drew an antelope from it. <laughs> and I thought, oh, man, I got to hunt antelope, and then I got to fly out, you know, that that next weekend. And so I thought, well, I'm going to go up, go do my antelope hunt. And uh, I was uh, out on the prairie looking at these antelope and stuff, and I thought there was a nice buck, and there were maybe three or four other ones in uh, in that group. And so I got out of the car and, you know, went traipsing across the flat prairie and Got close to that one buck, and I pulled back and shot, missed him. Run out there about a hundred yards, and I looked down, and there was a doe stand. Doe was laying there, you know, right ten feet from me. So it stood up, and I just thought, you know, there's one in hand. Put an arrow right through her, and she ran maybe two steps and went down, was dead. So I get back and get everything going, get the thing processed, and. Uh, then I get the news that I got a letter from Fred Bear saying, hey, we'd love to have you come out. Here's your ticket and all this. And so off to Michigan, I, I flew and uh, flew out with my bow. And I, at that time, I had a compound and uh, I had one of those Jennings compound bows. So I flew out and um, I got picked up by two guys. Uh, one guy was Ed Bilderback, who was the Alaskan guide that guided Fred on his world record bear bear hunt. And the other guy was Ed Bilderback, or, or not Ed Bilderback, but um, what the heck was his name? Anyway, they picked me up at the airport, and we drove up to Saginaw, up through Saginaw, Michigan, in that area there, and then we go to this place that's called Grouse Haven. So if you look in any of the Fred Bear catalogs or any of the places, that's where they all hunted. And uh, so we were there for, I think, three or four days, and uh, we had our own cabins. And then every night we would come in, and we'd get a tree stand selected for us. And uh, we'd sit around the campfire, and Fred Bear would sit with us and talk about, you know, the hunts that he went on. And he hunted, you know, everything from from deer to elephants to, you know, tigers, um, Buffalo, I mean, he hunted them all with a recurve. And so 
<clears throat> the one night we were sitting there and he was talking about hunting polar bears. And Fred had a real tough time getting a polar bear because they'd always have to shoot it because, you know, they would charge. So <clears throat> Fred was on this ice pack and this big bear out there pulls back and he shoots and a bear jumps. He sticks him right in the butt, right in the big meat part of the butt with his brought in. It's sticking out from the back of the bear. And so this bear turns around and he's charging them all, you know, and the guide pulls up his big old rifle and boom, drops him. And the bear just slitted to a stop just right in front of everybody. And so they all were kind of like, whoa, man, you know, and they were, they all had big 44s or, you know, big caliber uh, pistols on their chest. So they're feeling along this bear underneath to see if they could find where the blood was. There was no blood. There was no blood. Well, Fred figures that it's dead. It's laying there, you know, it's not moving. So he reaches around, grabs onto the arrow, and he pulls it back, and that bear's head came up. Mm. And he said those guides and everybody were rolling off, pulling their guns up and shooting it. <laughs> and uh, he said it didn't count, so they had to go back and hunt more polar bears. Wow. But anyway, we, we hunted this time. We had a lot of people coming in. And, and hunting at different times of the week. And uh, the, uh, when I got to the, the lodge in that, uh, air, airlines lost my luggage. And so my bow went to Florida. Oh, no. And so, uh, you know, I could go in and there were bows everywhere, you know. And so they had a range and they had a tree stand. And, and so we could practice. And so I grabbed a bunch of arrows and a bunch, you know, grabbed a bow and went out on the range and started practicing. Well, the next morning they're going to put me in a tree stand and I get in this tree stand and I'm like, I'm 30, 40 feet up. And I mean, I'm like, you know, holding on for dear life because I'd never hunted from a tree stand before. And uh, so I'm sitting there waiting and there was a creek that kind of run down along everything and we're sitting there and, and, uh, Pretty soon I see some deer coming, you know, and and uh, something spooks them and away they went. You know, well, that was the end of my day, you know. So I end up going back. And then uh, Ed Bilderback gets a hold of me and he comes to my deal and he says, hey, so let's go hunting. I says, all right. So we had a Willie's Jeep there. So I says, you want me to bring my bow? He says, no. He said, we'll just go. He says, I got my bow in, in the truck. He says, you drive. So okay. So I'm driving along. We're driving along, driving along on these roads. And pretty soon I see this little buck, and he's running along, and he stops. He's 30 yards off. So he taps me on the shoulder that he sees this deer. And so I pull to a slow stop with that Willie's Jeep. So he stands up in the Willie's Jeep, left-handed, pulls back his bow, and he shoots this deer, nails him, just right through him and away he runs you know and we go catch him and find him whatever and cleaned him out and hung him up in a tree and then uh so i was still kind of hunting my way you know still didn't get anything close enough to where i could shoot anything and uh the next morning fred calls me and comes over to my cabin and he says let's go and i said well what do you mean and he says you're gonna come with me and I said, wow. And I said, so I get my bow, and he says, I'm going to take you to a tree stand. He says, I've always hunted it. I always had good luck on it. And I said, okay. So we get to uh, driving down through all these different patches of trees and 
swamps and stuff like that. And, and Fred's telling me, you know, he hunted here and he hunted here and he hunted with this astronaut and he hunted with this guy over here that was a, a, a movie star, you know, and all these different people that he'd had on this place. And I was just like, wow, man, I'm just, I was excited, you know. And then uh, he drives up to this one spot and he says, this is my favorite tree. And he says, he said, I've shot a lot of deer off of this tree stand. And so he puts me up in this tree stand and uh, he gives me a sack lunch and he says, you're going to stay here all day. I said, oh, okay. So I'm up in this tree stand and I'm sitting there and I got turkeys coming around. I got squirrels coming around all different colors. I got black ones and white ones and red ones. And this one squirrel, and of course they, they put feed out, you know, they put corn out and they were eating all that stuff. And I'm thinking, gosh, dang, they're going to eat all my corn. So I thought, oh, as soon as that big one comes up, I'm going to nail him. So I pull up and I'm whack. I nail this big red squirrel. <laughs> so I get down, get my arrow back and I take that squirrel back up in the tree with me, you know, and put him down on the tree stand. And so I'm sitting there and more turkeys are coming in and they're eating, pecking at all this stuff. And I'm thinking, I don't think I have a license for that one. <laughs> so <laughs> I wasn't going to shoot it. So anyway, um, I get down towards the dark and I'm walking out and I catch up with this, this kid. This kid was, uh, is Les Line son and Les Line was the auditor of Audubon magazine at the time. And he was a great big, 300 pound guy, great big guy. And uh, so I was walking out with him. And so we're walking down past this little slough and there's a deer out there. And I could, and it's just at that time of night, you know, where you, you could tell it's a deer, but you didn't know. Well, this kid pulls his bow up and he shoots and I hear a smack, you know, and I'm thinking, Oh man, you know, he hit the steer. Well, I told the kid, I said, you stay here. I'm going to go back and see if I can get somebody. So I went back and got Ed, got a bunch of other people, and we got into that swamp and we were tracking that deer. And this guy was an Alaskan guide and he knew how to track. And I mean, we were on the track of this deer where he'd hit it. And we tracked him all the way back into that swamp. And we finally got him, you know. But it was things like that, you know, which was kind of cool, you know. And then getting towards the last day of the hunt, I got to... Uh, go up into this one tree stand again and uh, they put out some sugar beets and I didn't know deer ate sugar beets but they put these out there and in Michigan you can you can feed deer and so they put these out there and so I'm sitting there and just at daylight I look down and here come this herder, herder deer and there's a little spike buck you know and he comes in and he gets down on his knees and he starts eating these these uh, sugar beets so while he's eating his sugar beets, you know, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to wait till he stands up, you know, turns around, I'm going to go ahead and shoot him, you know. Because everybody was saying, you know, they were shooting two points and they were shooting, you know, I got a four point. Well, that was everything. You counted everything. Well, I was looking at a two point here, so <laughs> it's just two little horns. Mm -hmm. So as I stood there, I stood up and I got my bow ready and he stood back up and he looked up at me like that, like. You know, they know that if you're in a tree stand, they're going to look up anyway. So as he's looking up, I released an arrow and I shot. And I hit him right through the neck right here. And it went right down through, right along his body. Well, he turned, spun, ran around, and I knew he was where he was headed. You know, he's headed back for that swamp again. 
So I got down and I went over to where I saw him turn and I found a spot of blood. So I stopped right there and I gave the guys a call and the guys came and got me and then Ed came and <laughs> Ed was like running, you know, I mean, he's blood, 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 you know, and I was, what was that? You know, what was that? I was like looking. a bloodhound. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, he was on it, you know. Well, <clears throat> the steer crossed a, a little road and then he ran around and he came up on this little knoll that's where he died. He was dead. So we got him, and Ed uh, cleaned him out really quick, and we took him back, and they processed him, and I flew out about a day later and uh, had all the meat and coolers, and we took all the other meat from all the other guys, but, you know, we got to hunt with Fred Bear. So. Wow. That's a once-in-a-lifetime. That is absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Which I is crazy, because you said that was 1980, right? Yeah. And I think... Fred Bear passed away in 1988. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he was 80 when when I hunted yeah. with him. So he he was. Uh, but here's what Fred always believed in. He always believed in everybody outdoorsmen should be two season hunters. You know, you hunt with a bow, and then you put that down and you hunt with a rifle. Mm -hmm. He wasn't opposed to hunting with a rifle. It's just that he was so good at what his craft was of hunting with a recurve. That, uh, you know, he, he hunted everywhere across the world, sheep and goats and moose and everything. But uh, the thing about him is that that's what he instilled in me was to be a two-season hunter. Because when I got back home, that's what I did. I, I hunted as much as I could with uh, with a bow. I turned it over to the rifle, you know. Yeah. That's, that's a way of life for us. Is. Yeah, that's what we do. Um, yeah. As long as... Montana's trying to get rid of it. Yeah, but, as long uh, as, you know, somebody <laughs> with an acronym doesn't allow that to happen. But yeah. we'll see. Well, hopefully uh, they don't do that. Washington, they did that. They made you choose between archery or rifle. And they shortened their season down to a week. I think it was a week or 10 days. That was it. That's it in, in Washington. That's tough. Yeah. That is very tough. Montana is a last best place for a lot of reasons, and I hope it stays that way. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's been. But when they talk about changing it, you know, to an archery or a rifle only, boy, get with your get with your people and go vote. Go vote. Yeah. Well, there is a meeting for discussion in the next couple of weeks i'm pretty sure Elk so. management uh, yeah and i think that i i think that if you're a listener and you live in montana and you care about your rights your hunting rights you care about your animals and you care about a lot of things your voice goes a long ways whether you think it or not um and it's a good thing to listen in on what's going on before you because you don't want to be uh uninformed and then a year and a half from now something happens and you can't do anything about it at that point don't sit on the sidelines your no. voice is just as important as absolutely, else. and and even the people that don't hunt can still be a voice in that too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Your elk management is a is a big deal. Montana um, has a lot of beautiful game and a lot of beautiful, you know, not even game, just a lot of beautiful animals. And the public has more say in how we manage it than you think you do. You just got to do your research and stay up with the times, right? Yeah. But but you think that uh, people need to. You know, to voice their opinions on that Absolutely. because if they don't, it's it's going to change. Absolutely, and it, it hurts the industry of guns and archery. I mean, can you imagine if you split one to where you have to choose? Yeah. Well, it's going to hurt industries. Exactly. Well, and it's like we we keep thinking like, what do you choose? I mean, one you have more opportunity. One is something you've done your whole life. It's 
it would be a really hard dilemma and I'm hoping we don't ever have to deal with that. But yeah. no. Yeah. Worst thing weirder things have happened in the last couple of years. But yeah. That's right. Unfortunately, we could probably talk for the next five hours. We have a great guest and he has many stories to tell, but we're very close to the two hour mark. And we're going to ask him one last thing. Go ahead, Sean. And ask this him. is kind of a, a, we've kind of done some things like this with guests in the past. Um, just kind of like a fun little question. Um, so obviously you're a seasoned outdoorsman, season hunter. You've, I would assume have done pretty much everything under the sun as far as, as, as hunting goes. Um, so question I have for you, what is the one thing outside of guns and ammo that you will always, always bring in your hunting bag, no matter what? So you say that again. It's basically, in what do you always put in your hunting pack every time that you go out, outside of a gun or, or ammo or anything like that, like a certain survival thing, a lighter, or like just things like that? What is the one thing that you always bring with you? A hatchet. Interesting. It is. Ramsey has one all, all I, the time, I and I always thought it was a just because he had a cool one. So what I found out is... A saw works really good for the rib cage, but Outdoor Edge makes a hatchet that's super thin. That is the easiest thing I've ever used to split a rib cage. I mean, you're like two or three hits in the rib cage. Is As a guide, I beg to differ with that. Oh, I bet I'm quicker than your sawzall. No, sawzall with a demo plate is the quickest when you've got to do three or four deer a day. Uh, but but you not you're not packing yeah, you're it around. Right. But what's your what's your strategy on the hatchet? Is it similar? Well, it's similar to that. I mean, I you know when you're cleaning an animal, you know you want something that breaks that uh, you know the the brisket and also the, the pelvis. 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 Yeah. And uh, I like to have that really cleaned out. And you know, as you pull everything through it, it goes right down through the channel and it's all clean. You know, um, but my hatchet is a real small. It's a little browning hatchet. It's about this big. But it just, you know, fits in a pack. It's perfect, you know. And then if if there's times when I've got to stay out in the woods, you know, I've got something I can chop up a little wood and make a fire if yeah. I have to make a fire. I always have fire stuff. I always have fire starters and stuff. So That was good. That was a good little question there, Sean. Yeah. We always like to have this, those fun ones. Yeah, we just like to throw in a little little bit there um i i would love to have you again in the future maybe Absolutely. at the end of hunting season or something like that and we also have talked about not only getting sean in the duck blind but getting kevin in the duck blind with us we'd like to do that as well um after we finish up trap shooting here in a couple of weeks but uh first off thank you for coming this has been a great conversation like i said i think we could probably go till one two in the morning uh but we've got to let you get home to your family and uh uh we got to get home too yeah. um but yes, this has been great. Is there anything you'd like to say before we head out? Is there anything? Oh, I think what you guys are doing are great. Uh, you know, you're uh, you're putting together a, a podcast that's that's important to the industry. It's important to hunting. It's important to fishing. Um, you know, you're 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 bringing something to light that people need to hear. Um, the hunting industry and and sports that we're in need to be heard. And that's the important thing about this podcast. That was very well put. And we really appreciate the the kind words. I, I think that and if you've listened at all or anything, our biggest thing coming into this 
was to be able to give a voice for the people that are really important in our community and really have the amazing stories that don't get it heard. And we think we've definitely accomplished that tonight. So thanks for being a part of it. Thank you guys. Um, as always, we're actually, we got some, we're getting, we sold a medium sweatshirt this week. I am stoked. What? Yes. We, we are, we, we will never, probably not have much mediums after this, but we're excited that we finally got a medium sold. Um, shirts are being sold. So make sure to get on that. We're trying to get uh, through this last merchandise um, round of clothing so we can really pump out some, you know, it's hunting season's coming. We are nothing without having some sort of clothing hunting line coming out this fall. So uh, make sure to check out the BNB store at bullmountainbrothers.com. Uh, you boys have anything to add? Oh, I think that about does it. All right. Awesome. Thanks again, Kevin. Uh, hopefully we can get you on here again in the future. Um, I hope you had a good time. Oh, absolutely. Good. Thank you. For now, we'll catch you on the next one. Absolutely. Later. Thanks for listening to another episode of Bull Mountain Brothers. Hey, if you're looking for more Bull Mountain Brothers, be sure to follow us on TikTok and Instagram at bull underscore mountain underscore brothers and Facebook and YouTube at Bull Mountain Brothers. Also, don't forget to check out our B&B store at bullmountainbrothers.com where you can find some super sweet deals on some seasonal merchandise and outdoor gear.